Amen. Please be seated. Open your Bibles, please, to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. We're going to look at the first four verses of the chapter this morning. I want to tell you about good news and a pair of shoes. Good news and a pair of shoes. The, the good news came down and walked around on planet Earth. I could have entitled this good news and a pair of sandals, but it just didn't have the same, you know, kind of thing. So it's good news and a pair of shoes. If you're going to use a pew Bible, you'll find it on page 1021. 1 John 1, 1 through 4. The word of the Lord says this, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the word of the Lord. Let's ask the Lord's blessing on our time in the word. Lord, we come confessing frankly that we need a teacher, that we need somebody to open our hearts and minds to the truth of your word. We come confessing frankly that this is supernatural business and you're the only one who can do supernatural business. And so we need you to speak to us today. We cannot reason our way to you. We cannot feel our way to you. We cannot will our way to you. You have to be the one who takes the initiative and opens our hearts and minds so that we can understand. And so we confess frankly our need. And we ask you to come to us today, and we ask you to speak to us today, and we ask you to minister to us. Lord, if you'll minister to us, we'll be ministered to indeed. So hear our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. If you ask a man on the street what is Christianity, you're liable to get any kind of answer in our day, are you not? Let me suggest to you two or three answers that you might get just from the average guy on the street. Just somebody who's walking down the street, you say, what is Christianity? You might hear this answer. Well, Christianity is a system of beliefs about God. In other words, the Christians have a certain set of things that they believe is true about God, and they come together to rehearse those things, and Christianity is a set of beliefs. It's a religion. It's a way to be religious. It's a way to practice religion. That might be an answer that you would get. Someone else might say, Christianity is a delusion about reality that's held by weak-minded men and women. You get that quite a bit in our day, I think. There are many people in our society who believe that everything that we talk about on Sunday morning that comes out of this Bible is simply a fiction. It's simply something that was written many years ago by people that were primitive, and now we've outgrown that, and we don't need that anymore. And so a lot of people in our society might very well say, well, this is just something for weak-minded people who need a crutch. More positively, somebody else might say, no, I don't agree with that. I think Christianity is a great system of ethics that calls us to live lives that are more moral and higher in moral nature than would be our normal way to live our lives. And Christianity has done much good in the world. And we could say amen to that, can't we? Christianity has done much good 
in the world. But let me just suggest to you that if anybody gives you an answer other than this, that Christianity is Jesus Christ, the man who came down from heaven, the answer they're giving you is inadequate. Because the secret of Christianity is simply this, that God came down and God became man so that he could raise us up to himself. That's what Christianity is. That's what Christianity does. John, writing to the first century believers at the end of the first century, Christianity by this time, by the time John writes this letter, there have been people that uh, have put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ all over the Roman world in little pockets here and there, house churches, probably 25 people to a church. Isn't that a wonderful sized church? You get 25 people, God says that's a church. There are people who are just scattered all over the Roman world, and they're mixed congregations. Some of them are Jewish. They've come out of a Jewish background. They've known the teachings of Moses. Other people have come out of stark paganism, out of the Greek background. They haven't known anything about God. And suddenly they're introduced to Jesus, and they've come together to form these churches. And by the time John writes this, Jesus has been ascended into heaven for probably 40 or 50 years, maybe even 60 years. And one of the things they're noticing is, these churches are noticing, is that not everybody who professes faith in Jesus Christ stays with Jesus Christ. That there are indeed some who have looked pretty good. They started out, they put their faith in the Lord apparently, and professed to be believers, but after a while they've gone out and wandered away. And the question that John is dealing with in this book is who's real and who's not. John wants to deal with this. But in order to deal with that, first of all, he has to define what it is to be real and what Christianity is. And in these first four verses, John begins with this definition of Christianity. He says, Christianity is the man, Christ Jesus. John's big idea that he's dealing with here is simply this, that God has come down to restore fellowship between God and man, and the result of his doing that is pure joy. John begins in verse 1 with a striking statement, doesn't he? He says, that which was from the beginning. Now, as soon as we hear that phrase, it throws our minds back to the very beginning of the Bible, doesn't it? How many of you know the first line of the Bible? Can you say it with me? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Very good. You're a well-taught congregation. You know what the beginning is. Now, when that word, the beginning, comes up, you have to understand that that word refers to eternity previous to creation. Eternity previous to creation. In other words, when the Bible talks about the beginning, it isn't talking about what God did when he created. It's talking about what was before creation. You ever wonder what was before creation? God was before creation. God was there. The Holy Trinity was there. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they called into existence everything we know in the seen and the unseen universe. The unseen realities of morality and angels are called into existence, but the seen realities such as the solid wood pulpit and the world that we live in was called into existence by a God who is powerful enough to do that. And John says, I'm going to announce to you and I'm going to introduce you to somebody who was in the beginning. Before the creation, there was somebody there. And John's proposition is simply this, that Jesus Christ came down as the second person of the Trinity, that he was God 
And he came down and took on a human body. And you say, well, where do you get that from? Well, it's from the next phrase, isn't it? Because John says, that which was from the beginning, the unseen God, the God who existed before all time, that which was from the beginning, came down and we heard him speak and we have seen with our eyes and we have looked upon him and we have touched him with our hands. John says, the unseen became seen. This is the miracle of Christianity. The miracle of Christianity is simply this, that the unseen God decided to come down into space and time and history and take on a body that could be experienced and seen. John says, I heard Him. I heard Him. God wasn't distant to me. I sat in His presence. He spoke, and I heard God speak. And more than that, John says, I saw Him. With these two eyes, these physical eyes, I saw God sitting in front of me. I heard God sitting on a hillside and teaching. I saw God walk on the water. John says, I contemplated Him. I considered Him with my mind. And not only that, but I even reached out and touched Him. I could put my hands upon Him. Christianity says that God has become tactile. Can I put it that way? That God has entered into space and time and history. That He's not put Himself somewhere far away on the other side of reality where we cannot experience Him. Christianity says Jesus Christ, the man Jesus of Nazareth came came down, and that in that man God came to earth and walked among us. That is what Christianity says. Do you ever think about God waking up and having His hair messed up first thing in the morning? Do you ever think about God waking up and having bad breath and having to go brush his teeth? Do you ever think about God walking down the dusty roads of Palestine in his sandals and sweating in the middle of the day and smelling like he's been working in a field all day? Do you ever think about God that way? This is the God of Christianity. He's not a God that's stuck somewhere on the other side of reality that you can't encounter. This is the God who has come to us. He's the God who came down in flesh and blood to us. This is the good news of Christianity. You say, where does it say good news? Well, that's the next phrase. It says, concerning the word of life. Concerning the word of life. That what he's really saying there is, the good news came. The word that brings life came. John says that God's entering into space and time and history through the man Jesus Christ gave us the opportunity to encounter life. You know what life is, don't you? Life is the ability to be able to respond to what's going on around you. If you ever think about uh, something that's dead, it can't respond, right? The dead cannot respond. But life, the things that are alive, can respond. Let me tell you something. Jesus came down. God came down. He took on a body. He took on a human body. He came down here so that you and I could respond to the reality that we find ourselves living in. We need somebody who can make us able to respond not only to the physical reality. We've got physical life. We can do that. But there's a spiritual reality beyond that that we actually have no power to respond to. In our natural condition, we are born spiritually dead. 
We have a hole in our heart that tells us that there's something out there more than what we're experiencing, and we try to fill that up with sex and with drugs and with alcohol and with business and with all kinds of things we try to fill the hole in our heart with. But we can't fill the hole in our heart because the hole in our heart is made to be filled by one thing and one thing only, and it's God Himself. And Jesus came down to give us the ability to have the hole in our heart filled. Why do you have that longing inside of you? Why are you always unsatisfied with everything? Why is it that the things that thrill you today will be tasteless to you tomorrow? Why is it that there's always going to have to be something else and something greater farther along? Do you know what it is? I'll tell you what it is. You are hungry for God. You're hungry for God because we're made that way. We're made to desire God Himself, but we can't get to God. We're separated from God. We cannot reason our way to God. We cannot feel our way to God. We cannot will our way to God. We can't reach Him at all. And so the good news is we couldn't reach God, so God came down and reached us. That's what Christianity is. It's God coming down to reach us. It's God coming down into our world. Can you imagine? The Creator, the one who called everything into existence, the one whose air was His idea. Can you imagine air was His idea? Can you imagine Him coming down and breathing air? Food was God's idea. Can you imagine the Creator who created food? coming down and sitting at a meal across the table with people. What an, what an incredible thought that the Creator, who thought all this up, would come down to earth and participate in it. Why did He do that? He did that because there was no other way for you and I to be reconciled to Him. You say, where does it say that? Well, look what it says in verse 2. Verse 2, it tells us that a new kind of life was manifested. It was an eternal kind of life. Look what he says. He said, this life, the life that this good news refers to, was made manifest. God didn't hide his life away. He brought it down to us. He introduced it to us. And John says, I'm an eyewitness of this. I have seen this life. I testify to it. I proclaim to you eternal life which has been with the Father and was made manifest to us. Don't miss the fact that John goes from talking about life to talking about eternal life. Eternal life. We know life on planet Earth, do we not? Jamie Bustamante is on the road today. He's on the road today because his mother is getting ready to take her last breath. We know that's the kind of life that planet Earth gives us, isn't it? It's a life that cannot be abided in. It's a life that is temporary. It's a life that comes to us for a while and then seemingly passes away. I know there are eternal aspects to this, but the physical aspect of this is that on planet Earth, the life that we have cannot be clung to. Try as you will, you cannot beat the fact that the death rate is 100% in every generation. Right? You, You may not want to die, Does anybody want to die? Don't raise your hand. I don't want to have to do a rescue mission right here. Listen, you may not want to die, but the reality is one of these days you're going to die. That's the kind of life that planet Earth gives you. 
God came down so that that's not the only kind of life you can experience. God came down so that you can experience this new kind of life, this eternal kind of life that God has had within himself. Since before the creation, the eternal life that has always existed, God came down to share that life with you and me. What a generous God. What a gracious God that he would do this for us. Why should we have this privilege that God would care about us? We're specks of dust on the surface of a grain of sand in God's universe. The physical universe is unimaginably huge. And we're just little tiny specks of dust riding around on a little marble. But God said, I'll come down and I'll take those specks of dust and I'll bring them up to me. And I'll give them life that lasts forever. And I'll change their lives. Why would God do that? He did that because it's his nature to love. It's his nature to care about the specks of dust. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that amazing? This is who God is. Look what it says in verse 3. This proclamation of salvation leads to fellowship with God. That which we have seen and heard. John says, I saw him, I heard him, I proclaim to you. I proclaim this message to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. What does he say? He says, I'm proclaiming this to you so that you can share in the life of God and you can have fellowship with Him. Wouldn't you like to spend a day with God? Wouldn't that be interesting? Well, when I say that, there are two reactions that people are going to have in this room. Some people are going to say, oh, yes, please, I'd love to do that. That would be wonderful. You're going to say, oh, if I could spend a day with God, that would be great. I wonder what God has for breakfast. You know, I wonder what God has for Sunday dinner. That would be a wonderful thing. I'd like to ask God some questions. Some of you are sitting here thinking, yes, I'd like to do that. Others of you are saying, I don't want to get anywhere near that. Because the idea of God and being in God's presence is terrifying to you. It should be terrifying to you. It ought to be terrifying to you. To come into God's presence with sin, to come into God's presence without being changed, to come into God's presence without having our lives transformed, to be naked in front of a holy God ought to be one of the most terrifying ideas that mankind can ever face. But God came down. God came down so that you can walk into His presence and have fellowship dressed in the perfect, spotless righteousness of Jesus Christ, His Son. He said, oh, you don't want to be naked in my presence. Let me give you a suit to wear. Why don't you put on the righteousness of my Son, Jesus, and then you'll feel comfortable in my presence. You see, God longs for us to have fellowship with Him. God wants us to come and sit at His table. God wants us to come into His presence and enjoy Him forever. This is the greatness of God. This is the goodness of God. God cares about us. God wants us to be in companionship and a family relationship with Him. And so, John's message is this. I saw Jesus. He entered into space and time. He's the eternal God. The reason He did that is so that I can now come to you 
proclaim these truths to you, and you, by believing these truths, can come into fellowship with God and Jesus Christ and all of us. What a generous God. What a gracious God. Why would he, why would he do that? Well, let's look at verse 4. We find out what he's after. It says, John says, we are writing these things to you. I want you to know these things, John says. I want to communicate these things to you so that by believing, our joy may be complete. We may come into eternal joy. Do you know what God wants for you? You say, oh, God is terrifying. God wants me to be spotless and sinless. Yes, he does. As a matter of fact, that's why he sent Jesus. He took care of that at the cross. He took care of that at the cross. But now do you know what God wants for you? He wants you to experience eternal joy. He wants you to experience eternal joy. Uh, we had uh, several months ago, we had Gracia Burnham here, didn't we? She was, she was wonderful. I continue to be impacted by her ministry. Our book club, we're reading uh, one of her books. And I was reading this week a story she told about that. She said that uh, in their family, her husband, Martin, who was killed by the terrorists in the Philippines, that uh, before his death and before all of these things happened to them, Martin was always the one who decorated for Christmas. And she said, uh, frankly, she said, I am a lousy decorator. She said, my stuff just looks bad, but Martin had the ability. Martin could decorate things. He could hang the lights on the eve of the house and, you know, put the trim on the tree. And she says it was just really good when Martin did it. But she said, now I'm a widow and I don't have Martin anymore. And so she said, I came home and she thought, she said, I thought to myself, I've got to have, I've got to do something to decorate this house. I can't leave the house undecorated even though I'm lousy at it. So while she's thinking about this, she's at a yard sale or someplace that she's gone And she sees that somebody has got, in bright red letters that are about this tall, made out of wood, the word joy, J-O-Y. And there's a pole that's been affixed to it so that you can drive it down into the ground and it can sit in your house. And she thought, that's decoration I can do. So she bought it. And she took it home, and she and her kids go out into the frozen Kansas December ground and tried to get it in the ground. She said it took them about three hours to get it in the ground. But they got it in the ground, they set it up in front of the house, and then she thought, ah, I can put a light on it. So she got a light, she ran an extension cord out there, she got a floodlight, she put it down in front of the thing, she looked at it, and it was great. The light is shining on on the joy, and there's joy, and she thought, ah, there there is decoration I can do. She said, then a funny thing happened. She said she went to the grocery store, and somebody said to her, Gracia, I love what you've done to your house. And she thought, done to my house? What have I done to my house? Oh, it's so beautiful. Somebody else stopped her and said, Gracia, I love what you've done to your house. What did I do? She had no idea what she'd done to her house. She said she went home, and she had to figure out what was going on. She says, it's got to have something to do with this joy sign. So after dark, with the light turned down, She went out and stood in the street to look at her house. And what she discovered was that the floodlight was casting the shadow of joy across the front of her house. The whole house was filled with joy. That's the joy God wants you to have. 
That's the joy God wants you to have. He wants your whole house to be filled with joy. He wants everything about you to be filled with joy. And He not only wants it that for you now, He wants to give you that forever in unending quantities. What kind of a deal is that? That's a pretty good deal, isn't it? All you have to do is give up on trying to save yourself and let Him do it for you. That's all you got to do. Repentance is just turning away from trying to save yourself. Dear ones, there are people in our church and every other church, there are people in every church like this, who have sat under the sound of the gospel for years and they are still unsaved. And the reason they're still unsaved is because they insist on being their own savior to this day. In order to be saved, you have to give up on yourself. You have to turn away. You have to say, he's done it all for me and I'm going to take that gift. John says, I've come to proclaim this so that you can get in on the gift. It's a gift. God, John says, I can tell you about it, and if you put your faith in me, in, in the, the Word of God, you can enter into it too. What are we going to do with this? What is the meaning of this, and what can we make of it? I want to suggest to you there are three things that we can make of John's message to us. Number one, the reality of God has become manifest in Jesus Christ. The reality of God has become manifest in Jesus Christ. That God has actually entered into the world we live in is an arresting idea that changes everything for the man or the woman who is in its grip. If God has come down to us, if God has manifested Himself to us, then everything the Bible says about God and man must be true, must be real, must be actual, not a fairy tale, not a Superman story, not a Star Wars piece of fiction, but something that actually happened in space and time and history. And if that is true, if reality looks like that, then every man, woman, and child is called upon to reckon with the God who's there and who we are and what we ought to do in response to that fact. If God is real, then what the Bible says about the future is true. What the Bible says about man and sin and man's responsibility before a holy God is true. The fact that God became a man is arresting because we obviously could never ascend to God to verify His reality. So He came down to us to prove His existence. And the fact holds us accountable. Once you realize the reality of this, there's no going back. You either have to find a way to be reconciled to Him, or you have to perish forever. The second fact that will help us, that use that we can make of this, is simply this, that the proclamation of restored fellowship between God and man has been made and offered. There's an offer of fellowship with God. Everyone confronted with the fact that God has entered into our world needs to hear that God manifested Himself in that way so that we can come into fellowship with Him. The fact of God becoming man not only calls us to account, it provides a way out of our dilemma. Christians proclaim that God became man so that man can be reconciled to a holy God. We could never go up to God, so God came down to us. He came down to us for the purpose of restoring us to fellowship with Himself. The way into this fellowship is very simple. 
we proclaim Jesus Christ, the reconciliation of God and man. Here's the way in. Put your faith in Jesus. Trust Him to save you. Believe what God has said and done in His Son. And you will pass from death to life all in an instant. It isn't a complicated thing. It isn't a hard thing. You simply stop trusting yourself and you put your faith in Jesus Christ to be the one who's going to get you all the way home. It's a wonderful thing that He's done for us. It's amazing grace. Why should God be so nice? Well, that leads us to the third fact, the third use. The purpose of this revelation is that joy might be enjoyed between God and man forever. Do you know why God was so nice? Because He wants you to spend eternity with Him. Just let that sink in for a minute. (laughs) Wait a minute. You should laugh. You should laugh. You know why you should laugh? God wants me to spend eternity with Him? Yes, that's exactly what it is. God wants you to spend eternity with Him. That's what He wants. It's just God, Jesus came down because God wants you to spend eternity with Him. He wants to bring you into this joy. God's purpose in all that He's done in creation is simply this, to share the joy of God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, the joy that the Trinity has known forever, to share it with an uncountable number of men and women who He has rescued from planet Earth. That's the whole business. That's what He's doing. You see, God's ultimate purpose in creation is something good. It's the offer of eternal joy to all who will believe. C.S. Lewis said it best. He said, joy is the serious business of heaven. Joy is the serious business of heaven. That's what heaven's all about. wants to bring you into joy. A man or a woman living in time and history is in a probationary moment. You can choose eternal joy provided by God at His own expense, or you can continue on the present pathway to eternal misery. Choice is yours. Let me just ask you something. Why wouldn't you choose joy? Why wouldn't you choose joy? Why wouldn't that? What would hinder you from choosing joy? No, I'd like to be miserable, please. Does that make any sense? Does it make any sense to say, no, I'm just, I'm t- I just, I don't want to do that. I, I just, no, I just, I'll just leave me alone. I'll just continue on in my misery. What, does that make sense to do? That doesn't make any sense to do. Why wouldn't you choose joy? Why wouldn't you choose to, to leap over the hindrances that keep you from coming into this eternal joy? You can do that. You can, you can do that today. You can cast aside the hindrances. You can put your trust in Jesus. You can choose joy. So what is Christianity? Christianity is eternal life in Jesus Christ the Son. It isn't more complicated than that. It's just that simple. All who put their faith in Him are destined for eternal joy. Why not you? Let's pray. What a gracious God you are that you would come down to us through Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity who took on flesh. What a gracious God you are that you would do everything necessary to bring us up to you through the death and resurrection of our Savior, Jesus. 
What a gracious God you are to extend the offer of salvation free. (laughs) We can have it for free. All we have to do is just give up on ourselves, put our faith in Jesus. Lord, thank you for this word today. I pray that the people who know you and who love you, that I pray that their hearts will be encouraged today. For those who have not come to you yet, I pray that their hearts will be terrified. I pray that they will not rest until they too enter into joy. What a gift. What a gracious gift. Thank you for it. Thank you for your word. And above all, thank you for Jesus. Hear our prayer, Father, because we have asked it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for coming. You're dismissed.